0: Welcome to the Secret Lair Drive-In with your hosts, D-Dub and Stratosphere. The Secret Lair Drive-In is dedicated to bringing you the finest in B-movie entertainment news and reviews. And now, on with the show.
1: As one of the crew of this faster than light spaceship of the future sharing their curiosity to know the unknown their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures sir we're being radar scanned united planets cruiser c57d j.j adams commanding who are you morbius of the bellerophon well, dr morbius my orders are to survey the situation on altair four Commander, if you sat down on this planet, I warn you that I cannot be answerable for the safety of your ship or your crew. When you reach the Forbidden Planet, you will meet Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pigeon. The doctor is sole owner of this fabulous world. Anne Francis is his alluring daughter, Alta, who has never seen a young man till she meets Commander Adams, played by talented Leslie Nielsen. Come on in. didn't bring my bathing suit. What's a bathing suit? Oh, murder. You will meet a charming character in The Robot, able to produce on order ten tons of lead or a slinky evening gown, always at your service. It must be the loveliest, softest thing you've ever made for me, and fit in all the right places, with lots and lots of star sapphires. Star sapphires take a week to crystallize properly. Wood, diamonds or emeralds, too. You explore all the wonders of a vanished civilization. You travel deep down into the heart of the Forbidden Planet to discover the incredible marvels of this lost genius race. These magnificent scenes in striking Eastman color stagger the imagination. Twenty miles. Look down, gentlemen. Are you afraid? Seventy-eight hundred levels. Yet the wonders of the planet Altair IV conceal a strange and evil force, unknown, irresistible.
0: And welcome to a much delayed episode of the Secret Lair Drive-In. I am your host, your fearless leader, D Dub, and across the way back from machine, and across the way back from machine for me is my co-host and faithful acolyte, Stratosphere.
2: Uh, it's just like riding a bike. Hi, kids.
0: Yeah, well, I haven't ridden a bike in years, so I don't know how that's going to work out. <laughs> for At <much>. our age, <laughs> uh, hey, you'll break your hip. <laughs> so anyway. Uh real quick we're going to give you our contact information. If you have a movie you'd like us to do or perhaps uh tell us how great we are, tell us what idiots we are. How
2: would they do that? Uh well unless things have changed, I believe we can be reached at Secret Layer Podcast at blogspot.com?
0: Well Gmail. Gmail dot Gmail dot com.
2: Missed it by that much.
0: Uh, it always happens. And Go to iTunes. Find us on your Windows Phone. Be on Pod for your Android devices. You know the drill. Uh, so before we get started, we have some feedback. Uh, first off, let's hear from our friend Joe.
3: Hey, D demonstrat Joe Iden here. Hope all is well with you. Looking forward to the podcast on Batman. an equal time to Batman it happens to be one of my favorite one of my favorite superheroes. And uh, my earliest memories of Batman is uh, obviously the Super Friends. Believe it or not, the Super, even before the 60s show, which was in reruns when I was a kid, uh, was the Super Friends. And I watched that every Saturday morning for as many years as that show ran. Uh, I remember when I was a little bit older, I was probably in high school, the last season of Super Friends might have been like, I don't know, 82, 84. And that season, they kind of changed it up because you know how the Super Powers toy collection was out and they kind of t- tried to tie that in with it? They changed the artwork, the look of the characters. Um, they brought in some more of the, the regular villains like they did in Challenge of the Super Friends a few years earlier. But, you know, they changed Superman up. He actually looked a little bit more heroic looking. Uh, Wonder Woman, they made her... She actually had the double uh, W's on her um, her costume. Uh, but Batman is... They made a lot of cool changes with Batman. They uh, He actually had the cape draped around him. Looked more like the comic book Batman. But, anyway, that last season of Super Friends, I think it was called like uh, either Galactic Guardians or Legendary Superpower Show. I think it was Galactic Guardians. That has the distinct honor of showing Batman's origin for the first time ever on the screen, whether it's the small screen, the big screen, whatever. But that last season of Super Friends, I believe it was called Galactic Guardians. The name of the episode is The Fear with Scarecrow, actually has Batman's origin in it. They did a lot of neat stuff with that last season. One of the really cool things that they had never done in any of the Super Friends, they actually showed Batman and Robin and Alfred hanging around in the Batcave with their masks off and, and flipped back. Um, they'd never done anything like that before. I think Clark Kent actually shows up in that episode as well. Uh, I mentioned the 60s uh, show. You know what? I like the look of that show. I, I, I just was never a huge fan of it. A little bit too comical for me, but I recognize that that was a good show. I mean, I recognize that people like it, and I get it. I understand why. For me, I watched that show for the Batmobile. In my opinion, that is the coolest car ever made for any TV, movie, anything. That uh, 1960s Batmobile is my favorite. It's one of my favorite things of all time. I've got several die casts of it. I have model kits of it, pictures of it. I even have my, my picture with the Batmobile. It happened to be in town here a few years ago, and I got my picture with it. Um, anyway, uh, you know, but that show was never really, I never really was nothing. I know it's available on DVD. I did not run out and buy it, but um, I recognize that how much people like it, and I get it. But I just for me, it just was a little bit too comical. Even though I love the penguin, penguin was my favorite bad guy in that show. I'm interested to in hearing what you guys have to say about that show because it was such a big deal. Uh, you know the Burton films, and you know later on the um, I forget the director of the last couple of films, but um, you know they were okay. Uh, I liked the first one, but you know it obviously has its flaws. But I mean. I remember in 1989, breathless with anticipation waiting for this film to come out. For the most part, I really did like it. I thought it was a very good interpretation of Batman. I was one of the few people that did not care Michael Keaton was playing that part. I did not care. I thought it would work fine. I, I had um, I had some hopes for it. Um, I understood why a lot of people didn't understand it at the time. The other sequels got A lot goofier. Well, the second one, Returns, was pretty good. Burton did that. Of course, that ending completely fell apart. And I never really cared for Danny DeVito's um, Penguin. You know, just a little bit too disgusting for my... I always imagined the Penguin being a smart, sophisticated kind of bad guy. Kind of like... Sort of like the way Burgess Meredith did it. But I just never really cared for DeVito's Penguin in it you know, those movies got a little bit more ridiculous as we went around, as we went, uh, as we went on, um, can't remember the director of the last two, but I really, I have never been a Jim Carrey fan, and I don't even think I saw Batman and Robin in the theaters, I, 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 I don't know, what was it called, um, was it Batman and Robin, or, yeah, Batman and Robin, but, uh, no, Forever. It was Batman Forever. That's the one with Val Kilmer. Yeah, I never really cared for Jim Carrey, so I don't even think I saw that one in the theaters. In fact, I don't think I saw any of those in the theaters, the last couple of Batman films. Um, I just didn't. Joel Schumacher was the director of those, I believe. Never really cared for them. Tommy Lee Jones, Two-Face. Again, too much comedy. We get to the Nolan films, and that was a game-changer. I really think that he took that character and the Batman scenario and all the bad guys and everything. He really tried to set it in the real world. And I think that sparked something with other comic book films being brought to the thing, being brought to the, to the, to the screen. If you look at the, um, the Iron Man's, the Captain America's, the Hulk, they're more set in the real world. They're more, for lack of a better word, believable. But, they're, they're more set in the real world. There's not a lot of comedy in them. It's a lot more serious. Especially when we get into like the, the second Captain America movie. Pretty, pretty serious movie. They set, they're set more in the real world. And I think it's the three Batman films that did that. That started that. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong about this. It just seems to me that ever since Batman Begins, where we had Batman in a real world setting, I think other comic book movies kind of went that way too, especially the Marvel ones, in my opinion. Uh, The Dark Knight, the second one, my favorite comic book movie of all time. I love it. I absolutely love it. And uh, I really, I I like Christian Bale as Batman. I think he did a pretty good job. Uh, I love um, Michael Caine as Alfred and, you know, Gary Oldman, Commissioner Gordon. But I got to say, Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger's Joker, in my opinion, is the best comic book character brought to the screen ever. All the bad guys, all the good guys, all the characters that we've had brought to the television or to the movie screen over the years, I think his is the best. It's very different from the comics. It's very different than everything we've seen before, but I think he's the best. I watched that movie to watch his his performance. The tragedy is, We'll never get another one. I mean, it's such a tragedy. No one will ever be able to play that part like he did. Uh You know, no will be able to play that part uh, again. He won't be able to play that part again, obviously. And I think that's so tragic because he was so, so good in it. You know, obviously got Academy Award. Uh Interested in seeing, you know, the, the Suicide Squad. I understand Joker's going to be in that. I think the actor Jared Leto's playing, playing him. Interested in seeing that. Uh, The third Batman film, a little bit of a disappointment, I thought it was way too long. But I did like it. The one thing that I always had a problem with, I personally never considered Bane to be one of Batman's heavy hitters as a bad guy. When I think Batman's heavy hitters, Road Gallery, obviously Joker, Penguin, Catwoman, the Riddler maybe, you know what I mean? But I just never really considered Bane to be that big of a deal in Batman's Rogel. Yes, if you're familiar with the comics, he's the guy that broke Batman's back. He's the guy that took Batman out of commission for a few years. But for whatever reason, I just never considered him to be a real um, threat, credible threat. He was good for what they needed for in that storyline, but as far as the movies, I just didn't care for him in the movies. I just didn't consider him uh, in the movies. Interested in seeing this next Superman, the Batman one, um... You know, we'll see what happens, but I think over the years Batman's had a lot of different interpretations. I really think Nolan got it right, and with all three of his films, on a whole, all three of his films are just terrific. The second one is a shining, in my opinion, just a shining example of 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 what you could do in a real world setting with with comic book characters. And I think it's great that the that that we've got directors and film studios these days that are willing to treat this stuff a little bit more seriously. You know, I mean, something I've been waiting all my life for. But uh, I'm really interested in hearing all your interpretations of Batman. I'm sure you're going to give me a lot to think about. And, um, yeah, I look forward to it. Anyway, uh, rambled on way too long. I will let you go and uh, talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.
0: And that was insightful as always.
2: Gotta love Joe. Always makes his case.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Now we actually have some email from a... From a new source. Now oh. just to let everybody know, this is we're recording this middle of February, and this is actually from quite a while ago. So Richard, that's I am o- sorry.
2: That's okay. They're they're listening to the episodes over and over. So it's all fresh for the for the fans. Oh there
0: you go. Okay, this is from Richard C. Martin about Kiss Meets the Phantom.
2: Oh boy. Yeah.
0: Hey guys, just wanted you to know I really enjoyed the podcast. It totally took me back to that great cheesiness that was nineteen seventies made for T V movies. I remember begging my parents to let me watch it when it first aired. For a seven-year-old kid, it was a, like a comic book come to life. Nowadays, it gets unfairly panned when compared to what it was being done for television. Oh, when compared to what was being done for television at the time, it wasn't horrible. Beats the beats pants off the nineteen seventy-seven Spider-Man live-action show. What a stinkfest that was! If you've not yet seen Paul Stanley's Phantom of the Opera, you must see it. There used to be bootlegs of the performance going around at conventions. Now it can be seen, at least in part, on YouTube. Definitely worth a look for any serious KISS fan. Thanks for the stroll down memory lane, The Rick. Well, first off, welcome aboard, and thank you for your uh, feedback. And, yes, you know, the 77 Spider-Man show was awful, but we still watched it all the time because it was something.
2: I, You know, it always amazed me that that was canceled pretty much after one season but the hulk which i thought was far inferior actually lasted for that lasted for a few seasons didn't it
0: it did it uh i don't know exactly how many but the thing the thing with the hulk i mean it, they were really retreading an old formula i mean it goes back to the fugitive and oh you know, yeah I, it was I basically
2: mean, the fugitive with, with powers it, yeah
0: and you know that same thing also showed up when they did the um, Planet of the Apes TV show, it was okay. the same thing. Oh yeah, I do. Remember I mean, it's that. a what's the phrase you use? A trope? I mean, it's something that happens all over and over. So
2: yeah, older than you think is the yeah, trope.
0: Exactly. I'll
2: tell you a funny story about the uh, uh, the Spider Man show. Back when my daughter was really little, like about four or five, um, we got her into The Sound of Music. Well, Nicholas Hammond, who played Peter Parker in that played I believe Friedrich in The Sound of Music.
0: I couldn't tell you the kids' names.
2: Okay. One of one of the one of the Von Trapp kids. Anyway, I had not seen this thing or cared about it since I was little. Really wasn't my thing. And uh, my wife and my daughter are sitting there watching it and I walk in and I'm like, "Oh my god, it's Spider-Man." And the, and my you know my daughter's like 5, but she knows who Spider-Man is and my wife is they're both looking at me like, "Where?" I'm like, yeah. You see that kid right there? That's Spider Man, and and they're just looking at me like, okay, just go sit down.
0: <laughs> Don't talk to us right now.
2: Don't talk us right, Yeah, we're we're doing sing along. <laughs> yeah. well, anyway, and I've actually grown to like the the movie. It's got a good cheese. Uh, talk about uh, cheese factor.
0: Uh it's been a while since I've seen that. Well, we have one more from Joe here, and what do you have to say now, Joe?
3: Hey, D-Dubbin-Strat, Joe Iden here. Just checking in real quick. Uh, enjoyed the last couple of podcasts quite a bit. Um, I thought you did a great job with uh, Godzilla 98. Bought up some things I hadn't thought about. Uh, I have to admit, though, this is one time I didn't feel the need to go back and watch the movie because I'm not really nuts about that movie uh, as a Godzilla movie, like I said. But, listen, the reason for my call real quick is I was doing my weekly channel search to see if there's any films on this week that I want to see, and I don't know if you guys have uh, Sven Gulli out there, he's that uh, guy that hosts the, um, he does, you know, horror and sci-fi movies on Saturday night, and I believe he's on the MeTV network, I don't know if you guys have that, but uh, I... Generally, try to watch him every week because he's like one of the only guys still doing it. And uh, since we got a new cable system, or well, since I got a new cable system, uh, I have Me TV and I really like it. And uh, he is running this Saturday night, and I can't remember the last time I saw this on TV King Kong vs. Godzilla. And I am very excited to watch this on, TV, on regular TV. Uh, I shouldn't be too surprised, because about a year ago, maybe a little longer, he did run, believe it or not, King Kong Escapes, and, you know, this stuff just doesn't show up on TV anymore, and he's doing it, and and I'm grateful that it's going to be on, I can't wait to watch it again, but, um, yeah, if you have MeTV, uh, and you have Sven Gulli, uh Saturday night at 10 o'clock, he is running King Kong vs. Godzilla, and... Just the fact that it's on, uh, like a network, like even a cable channel, just the fact that it's on makes me want to watch it again. So uh, I'm really looking forward to watching that for the... Oh, God, it could be a hundredth time. I don't even know, and I don't care. The last time I saw this thing on TV was... I'm going to go back to, like, 2000, I think, when the Sci Fi channel ran it. Um, I didn't have TV then. I didn't have Swingooly on my on my television then. He might have ran it since then. But, uh, yeah, King Kong vs. Godzilla is on this Saturday night, and I think that's terrific. But uh, I just want to drop you a quick line and, and uh, give you a heads up on that because, uh, like I said, this stuff doesn't show up on TV anymore. And it's it's funny, I feel compelled to watch it. And even if it's something I'd seen a bunch of times before or, or even if it's something I don't really care for, uh, I just feel compelled to watch it because of the fact that he's running it and this stuff doesn't show up at least around my area it doesn't this stuff just doesn't show up um it was like two weeks ago he ran a uh the brides of dracula and he runs the hammer and the universal and all the um um aip movies you know the bird eye gordon stuff and uh you know his his segments in between are a little goofy a little kind of you know almost boring but uh he does come across with some good... He'll talk about the movie and stuff like that, the stars and other movies they were in. That's, sometimes that gets interesting. But uh, uh, if you have Sven Gulli, uh yeah, check it out this Saturday night. Anyway, just wanted to keep this brief, give you, give you a heads up. Looking forward to the next couple of podcasts on uh, both of the shows. And uh, I'll be in touch. And take care. Bye.
0: Can't say as I really disagree with him on that.
2: Uh, you'll find some that'll argue with that but i I think we're pretty much in agreement okay. um, and just just
0: we're gonna pull back the curtain that's only funny to us because you know I've heard them and I'm gonna pop them in right there but uh we're not playing them as we're doing this so <laughs> you know so what is our cinematic masterpiece for this time
2: well this time around we've uh we found one that is actually you know we we use the term cinematic masterpiece usually in an ironic sense but this is regarded by many in sci-fi fandom as an actual cinematic masterpiece and that would be the 1956 MGM classic Forbidden Planet
0: yep and i actually did rewatch this one just for this
2: i haven't seen this in years but uh definitely uh definitely was interesting to to catch it uh, in full full color i think the last time i watched this was on a black and white tv set (laughs) so that's been a while
0: i got the i got the dvd a couple of years ago and i watched it there okay once watch it once with my wife and she just wasn't into the whole experience and just for the record she loved the day the earth stood still okay but uh the original of course the original okay there was no sequel
2: there was no sequel no remake no nothing
0: right michael rennie lives that's what i mean um and then I watched it again a couple of days ago leading up to this. Okay. So, anyway, the best place to start
2: would be the, the plot. In 2200 A.D., United Planets cruiser C-57D, under Commander Adams, approaches Altair Four, a planet with pink sand, a green sky, and two moons. I don't know who the decorator is. The mission of the 14-man crew is to find out what became of the Earth colony that came there 20 years before.
0: Yeah, and it's very interesting. I'm just going to, before you get too far into this. Sure. um, Just looking at the special effects. Now, they had a lot of people on loan from the Walt Disney Corporation.
2: I couldn't understand
0: that. And as you're looking at this, Disney did a lot of um, speculative stuff back in the 50s.
2: Oh, okay. And
0: you can see it. Just like from farming the, it out type stuff. Well, you, well, no, I mean, like, um, just speculating about different aspects of what we would consider science fiction or that. Oh, okay, I see. And you can really see the Disney influence on the special effects.
2: I thought so immediately upon watching it. It, it, I was actually kind of surprised to see that. I mean, I know now you have the Disney MGM park, but back then they were two entirely separate entities and. I did not know that um, what you had just said, but I definitely got a feel for, like, okay, this is like if if Disney did that type of a big-budget sci-fi movie. Mm -hmm. So, before landing, the ship receives a radio message from Dr. Morbius, a member of the Earth Colony Party. He warns the crew that he can't be responsible for their welfare if they land. Once the men get out of their spaceship, they are greeted by Robbie, an amazing robot who knows one hundred and eighty eight languages and can, among innumerable things, cook, sew, arrange flowers, drive a Jeep, and make bourbon. Was, Why can't we have that now? <laughs> I always loved
0: Robbie. <laughs>
2: Robbie's cool.
0: Even when he showed up in Lost
2: in Space. You know, I was <clears throat> I was under kind of a misconception for years because I kept hearing that, I I kept hearing that Robbie the robot was the robot from lost in space. And it's only that he made like an, didn't he make an appearance in like one or two episodes or something like that? Uh,
0: I don't know how many, but he did appear on there.
2: Okay. Yeah. I I had heard for years that that was the same robot. And um, when I, Saw it a few, uh, several years ago. I was just like, okay, you people are insane. They, they don't even look close.
0: Okay, but here's something you may or may not know. They were both designed by the same person.
2: Um, I, Well, okay, I take back what I said a second ago. I see certain similarities, but it's kind of like it, – it's sort of – okay, here, here's my take on it. if or If it's designed by the same person – it's sort of like that person gave a general description and two actual engineers took that description. One came up with Robbie. One came up with, was it X-28 or something like that? Or B-9. Oh, okay. Always go to the source.
0: But, and uh, by the source, it's the uh, Lost in Space robot bobblehead still in the box up on the shelf up there.
2: Always go for mint in the box. Anyway, the only thing that the enormous robot cannot do is harm human beings, as his creator, Dr. Morbius, has provided him with a built-in safety factor. Robbie drives Adams, Doc, and (coughs) Lieutenant Farman to Morbius' house. Morbius tells Adams and the others that he and his 18-year-old daughter, Alta, are the only human beings left on the planet. Ah, Alta.
0: Okay, now it's... Altair Five, right? Right. So, the, the, jumping ahead a little bit, the, the creatures that were native to the planet were known as the Krell, right? Right. Wouldn't they technically be Altoids?
2: Very curiously strong. <laughs> anyway... The others from the expedition, including his wife, had died years ago, one at a time, mysteriously and brutally, at the hands of some invisible force which hasn't been around since. He and his daughter have lived alone ever since with Robbie and some wild earth animals that Alta treats as pets. Alta has never seen a man other than her father and becomes very curious about them. Farman teaches her how to kiss, but she is not stimulated by the experience. Oh god, the subtext. Hell, it's not even subtext. It's pretty pretty much right on the table. It's pretty much out there, yeah. However, when she coaxes Adams into kissing her, she and he have a strong mutual attraction.
0: It's Leslie Nielsen.
2: uh, I'll definitely have something to say about Leslie Nielsen before this is over. At night, something damages the ship's equipment, preventing the ship from taking off until repairs are made. Conveniently.
0: Well, they also, if I remember correctly, they had to salvage, they had to take apart part of the ship in order to um, make some sort of a transmitter so that they could transmit back to Oith.
2: Yes. Okay. Uh, um, Morbius tells Adams and Doc that the planet was once inhabited by the, the Crow. Crow, a great 2,000-year-old 2, civilization. 2,000 years I think it was longer than that. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say that's <laughs> because all he
0: did was be. I mean, every time, every time Walter Pigeon would talk about him about the corral, it's like, oh, they were magnificent. Blah, you're not worthy. Uh.
2: Yeah, but okay, I, I would agree with that. Um... The corral. The corral. The 2,000-year-old civilization, okay, well, assume we'll it's more than that, that inexplicab- inexplicably disappeared in one night. He tells them that he has long been experimenting in an old Krell laboratory with a brain booster machine they left behind, and that it has increased his IQ to super genius level. <laughs> At- <laughs> I know, right? At night... the Coyote. While Y-O-Y-E- E. Coyote... Y-O-Y-E-Coyote. At night, the invisible Are being... Are you ingenious? I, I love the fact that you pick up on that. <laughs> I think the only other person that would get that joke is my daughter. She's She's got a super genius with Wile e. Coyote t-shirt. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> <coughs> um, at night, the invisible being kills Chief Quinn. Morbius tells Alta, It's happening again! The next night, the creature returns to the ship site. The crew is prepared and traps it in a force field. In the laser beams, they are able to make out an enormous monster, which basically looks like a head with two legs coming out of it.
0: Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> the thing, though, when earlier on they found this footprint and they made a mold of this footprint, and somehow they got the entire foot out of just the bottom of the the mold, you know?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, it was the fifties. What do you want?
0: Yeah, that's true. <clears throat>
2: Uh, um. they stop it but are unable to kill it and it lashes out at several men dealing a death blow to Farman it disappears Doc puts on the Krell brain booster machine in hopes of getting the knowledge to understand the invisible being the strength of the machine kills him but before he dies he tells Adams that the Krell were destroyed by monsters of the id which they created in their search for ultimate knowledge Morbius now understands that the monster that killed the members of the colony long ago and has killed Adams' men comes from his own subconscious. He has willed it into being.
0: Yeah, super genius, folks.
2: Yep. The id monster comes towards Morbius' house. That thing out there, it's you, Adam tells Morbius. The id monster enters the lab where the three scared people have holed up. Morbius yells, "I deny you. I give you up." The monster destroys Morbius and in doing so ceases to exist. Adams pulls a lever in the lab that starts a chain reaction of Krell furnaces. I'm going to read that again. Adams pulls a lever.
0: One well, lever. Oh well, hang on, he was he was get, he was told by Morbius pull that lever, and he pulls it without asking what it does, and then Morbius tells him, oh yeah, by the way, that's going to destroy everything.
2: Why would you have such a lever lying around, like in in plain sight? Well, Morbius... Why not just make it a big, shiny red button (laughs) that says, don't press, painted on it? (laughs) Anywho. uh,
0: Big big red button. Almost like foreshadowing for the... For the
2: next uh, geeks topic. Ah, yes. Uh, and at the end, Alta Adams and Robbie rush to the spaceship as it, it flees the exploding planet. The end. The end. Yes. Or is it? No.
0: No, I don't think there was a question mark, was there? Was it? I, I, don't, I don't think know.
2: so. They probably. They. they I'm surprised he didn't make a sequel to this because They. They, they left it kind of open ended there. I mean
0: Well, I'm sure they could have,
2: but let's be honest, it's probably a good thing they didn't. Um I well, okay, if you want to get into actually, you know, talking about the merits of the movie, I kinda liked it. It's it's got some old fashioned charm to it. I think it's very well written. That it is. Um beautifully photograp or photographed. Oh yeah, the cinematography uh, is gorgeous. I mean if I mean, watch something like this, and not to bring up source subject, but watch something like this, and then watch Angry Red Planet, and it's like what, sh- how you should do some a movie like this, and how you should not do a movie like this. Oh, good point. Um, see, I see. There's a lot. Of, to me, there's a lot of parallels between those two movies, but as, as far as a goofy and gallant type of thing, you know, it's like they're, okay, there's go- good. They they kind of share a similar premise as far as you you know going to a you know the foreign planet and dealing with what's there yeah and um like i guess said angry Air planet we've already reviewed that and we i mean we buried it. it we're done we we buried it we were laughing unintentionally yeah which which is kind of a sad commentary i actually w- enjoyed watching this um i thought the cast was really good oh yeah a lot of a lot of faces that would show up on uh a lot of
0: TV down the road.
2: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and Leslie
0: Nielsen. Um, which okay,
2: let me let me uh, com- comment on Les- Leslie Nielsen. Th- this movie totally proves a theory that I I have expounded on for years, is that when Leslie Nielsen had his quote unquote comeback, like with the airplane movies and the police squad movies, his acting style never changed, not one bit. It's just they framed it within a comedy. For for those I can see things. that. But if you – I'm looking at the way he he reads his lines, particularly in here, and he's just got that dead serious kind of gravelly monotone to his voice. And when you treat it like a drama in this movie, it plays one way. But if you treat it as a comedy as in the airplane movies, it, it suddenly – but like I said, his, the inflection of his lines and the expressions on his face – Basically, the only difference between the two is what color his hair is. That's true. Um, I will say, you know, um, upon my
0: latest viewing of it, uh, even with what you said, considering that, he was actually quite good in this movie.
2: Oh, you! I believe me, I'm not criticizing him at all. It's just people tend to uh, – latter-day audiences, all they really know is the comedy – they, true, for, they Very true. F- they f- kind of forget that in it, you know. This is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. But if you look up his credits on IMDb and go back to the, you know, the fifties and sixties, he has a credits list a mile long. That he
0: does. That he does. He has
2: hundreds of roles that he did. Most of which he was basically a, a a very classic leading man. He had pretty good looks. Very very serious. Very dare I say it, dashing looking, and he just, you know, he had the, the strong jawline, I mean, he was just, you're, uh, he you're he but he very much looked like um, a studio uh, type of okay, star. Okay, I can, I can see that. Someone, someone who was brought up through the studio system <clears throat> and groomed to be a star, do you, do you understand what I mean? I, I follow exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, now, there were a couple of other actors in here that would show up, like I said, la- on later TV shows. Okay. The guy played Cookie, Earl Holloman.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I I was very surprised to see him. Um, um, mainly what I knew him from later
0: on was he was on a TV show with Angie Dickinson called Police Woman. Now, this was years. Earl Holloman was on that. He was. Wow. I,
2: ne- I never really watched it, but I remember hearing like on the commercials, Earl Holloman and Angie Dickinson. Yep. And then or the $6 million
0: man's boss was on there, Richard Anderson. Oh, I didn't even catch that.
2: Yep, he, wow. played, he played like the communications chief, like the tech guru guy. I miss that. Mm-hmm. The thing I know Earl Holloman from is he was in the very first episode of The Twilight Zone. Okay. Where is everybody? I got gotcha. you. So, well, he
0: did quite a few Twilight Zones, if I remember, I'm assuming. Uh
2: I want to say he did two or three. The, the only two that really did a lot of them were Jack Klugman and... Um, Damn, I can't think of it. there was there were two actors that did like four of them total.
0: Didn't uh, Burgess Meredith do a bunch?
2: Yeah, Burgess Meredith. That was the okay. other Burgess Meredith and uh, Jack Klugman were the only two that did like four. Uh, Earl Holliman did that first one. I want to say he did one more. Okay, but uh, just the fact that it was the first episode was, was and he was the the face of the episode. And, I gotcha. So kind of interesting, and um, you know, a, as I said earlier, Anne Francis. Oh my God. <laughs> is she just? She's pretty amazing in this. I think.
0: <laughs> well, she's no Julia Adams, but she's very nice.
2: Um, well, I mean, considering th- her part is kind of, um, I would argue, it's a little bit underwritten. I mean, she's basically just supposed to be the ingenue, but I feel like she kind of does a lot with it. Oh, I'm she. There's oh, a, yeah,
0: she does a she does a wonderful job with this.
2: Um. She's supposed like I said, she's supposed to be the ingenue, supposed to be kind of uh just the, the the childlike mad scientist daughter, but I feel like she brings a little bit of a playfulness to it that really gives the character some depth where you wouldn't normally see. And the nice thing about watching this is I finally got I finally understood the joke behind uh science fiction double feature from Rocky Horror. Because they they have the line Anne Francis stars and Forbidden Planet, and I really had never sat down and watched the thing from beginning to end. So okay, now now do, having done that, it's like oh okay, I see why that's that's a big thing to sci-fi fandom.
0: Gotcha. Uh, let's see. You know this is what this is one of those movies. I know that people have gone on and on, and they say, well, based on the Tempest and all that, and I don't want to get into all of that because that's a little too.
2: Um, The thing that I think is more – I mean, yes, I've heard that too. And saying it's based on The Tempest is – it's technically true, but it's very, very loosely based. I think the thing that is more fascinating is that uh, the original screenplay was uh, by Robert Heinlein. No kidding. Oh, yes. I did not know that. Yeah, he did the original screenplay for it. It went through several rewrites, but it was basically Robert Heinlein adapting The Tempest. Okay, so you, you had one master kind of adapting another master, so the the raw material they had to work with was was pretty solid. And as we talked about near the beginning, um, you know, very nice special effects for a 1956 movie. Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, from what I understand,
0: just um, there really wasn't a whole lot of other special effects going on at the time because so many people
2: were working. on There were on still this movies one. being released in black and white. Well, there are just so many people working I mean, on look, this look, one. Look at them. We, yeah, you know, yeah, you know that was that was from a right around this time, and except for the opening credits, there's there's no color in them. Very true. Yeah. And uh, you know, uh, I, as you said earlier, the the cinematography is just gorgeous. And uh, uh, is this um, is this Technicolor? Probably. Let's see, do I have that? I do not have that information. Damn me. Oh, damn. But um, hmm. it's um, – like I said, the colors, when you look at certain other movies from the era that the um, – Some of the other movies from the era. Uh, the other movies from the era that have color have a tendency to – because color was such an emerging technology – Okay uh tend to be a little like hurt your eyes. And I thought this was I mean it's obviously a cleaned up version that I had looked at, but it, it looked very nice. It didn't it didn't look like uh I couldn't see what was going on because the colors were so garish. It
0: didn't it didn't slap you on the face quite
2: so much. That was the problem that I was worried about. But okay. um the only part where it got a little bit intense was when they show the creature caught in the uh uh the force field in the well yeah in the forest field but the I was willing to kind of suspend my my oh look there's the wires type mentality because I I mitigated with okay it's 1956 it looked animated it didn't you You're know right. but and that that was where you know we talked about the the Disney influence that was sure. that was especially the scene where I was like god this this could have been could have been shown on uh, Wonderful World of Disney very easily, that, oh, sure, that yeah. whole sequence. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Okay. Uh,
0: with all that being said, how would you rate this one?
2: Um, I'm going to go craptastic. I, I really it, – it had a great feel to it, and uh, I would definitely see it again, and I would recommend it to people. Okay. So that, that to me is kind of the, the two things that really – Makes or breaks something is would you yourself watch, watch it again or is this being swept under the rug of history? And if someone was looking for, hey, if, if somebody's making the argument that, you know, okay, all those sci fi movies from the 50s are absolute crap, absolutely not. Th- no, this no. one, and obviously you mentioned um, <coughs> Day of the Earth Stood Still, sure. which, you know, we'll probably have to review that one at some point. But, oh, you uh,
0: make it sound like such a chore. Oh, well, have to review.
2: you'll have to review it, you know. We don't want to, but we have to, because we love you, the
0: fans. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, with that. How are you reviewing? I'm going
2: to go craptastic as well.
0: I'm not quite ready to give it the
2: top of the top. Um, uh, that's why i feel a little short too it, it's not an absolute rave but it was
0: it's not going to be one that it, as i'm going through the channels i'm going to stop to watch it every time if i see it, on the it table. it's not
2: yeah it's not quite in that upper tier i know exactly what you speak of when you say that but it it's definitely one of these uh maybe a year or so from now looking for looking for something to yeah. watch pull this out and uh exactly maybe, maybe i'll have the the big screen tv in in the strat cave by then oh there you go we're still working on it yeah. Okay, so with that being said, what are we doing next time? Well, I know it's not summer. It's the middle of a very, very cold winter, but we are doing a double feature. We are. We are. We are doing, wait for it, Sharknado and Sharknado 2. Oh, that's going
0: to be a fun one, folks. <laughs> so, so once again, Podcast at gmail.com. And this is D-Dub.
2: And Stratosphere. Saying go watch a B-movie. And why? Because these things won't watch themselves. Later, folks. Bye, kids. Jeez, that was a swell movie.
3: Please remember to
1: replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.